we've been doing a series we've called The Comeback. And all it really is is preaching through the books of the Bible that talk about when the Jewish people were away, God had sent them away because of their sin, and they were finally getting a fresh start. I'll never forget the day that I had come back to Jesus and that presence that I had not sensed or felt, that warmth in my heart, that forgiveness of his love came back in a moment. Some of you know what I'm talking about here this morning. By the way, actually, this is really random, but I've been practicing my Spanish, and I hear that this is very important. It's called a chancleta, and your mother will hit your cabeza with the chancleta, correct? Yes. So that was uh, my friend Wesley and uh, Pastor Cecilio taught me that, just trying to keep my Spanish flowing. So in the handouts that you have, we just took a lot of time to have here as best as we could on the front page to give you what it looks like in the big picture, what it looks like in the small picture where we're at. The week that we're on, last week we talked about the comeback, now we're talking about the setback. All the characters in all of this time period, as many as we could fit on there. The reason we do this is that we hope you take this home and you could just chase it as little or as much as you want. Maybe you're saying, you know what, I really struggle, struggle reading the Bible. It's a great way for you to say, hey, I'm going to read through the book of Ezra as we're going through it in the church, or uh, Nehemiah, or the prophets, uh, Haggai and Zechariah. And we're going we're to be covering them because we believe that there's one voice that needs to be heard, and that's the voice of the Lord. Amen? And uh, God speaks, and it's, it's usually through his word. And, but he does speak through his spirit, and what I'd like to do is pray that he would be with us here today and that we would hear what he has to say to his church. It's his church, not mine. And you're his bride, and he loves you, faults and all. He knows right where you are, even if it's not the place you ought to be. He loves you right in that spot. That's so important for you to understand that. He loves you. He looks past your fault. He sees your need, and he loves you there. Pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for what you've done on the cross. Thank you for the permanent championship you won for us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the lessons in your word. Lord, there are better people and teachers that might be able to unpack this, but here this morning, help us to share it in such a way that it turns into change for our lives, hope for our lives, strength for our lives, and help for our lives. And that we wouldn't just be mere hearers of the word, but we'd put it into practice in our life today. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And amen. Well, right now I'd get this off of me, but I think I'm going to just endure the sweat for the period of duration we have here. Uh, if you take a look at what we were talking about last week, it's really chapters one through three. And all of them have a history behind them. These people were God's people. God said, I'm going to give you this land. You, you got to go and conquer it. This is a really great point to keep in the back of your mind. Nobody's going to hand you God's best for your life. You got to go after it. You need to pursue it. You need to do your part. It just doesn't drop there. Or at least if it does, it doesn't stay there. And whatever God gives to you in that moment, that blessing, it's intended for you to turn that into forward momentum for his glory and his honor. Just as he said to Joshua, he says, everywhere you put your foot upon, I'll give it to you. Your land will be from here to there and here to there. So God not only tells us we'll take everything we're going to come against if we trust him, but then he also gives us parameters. So it's not like, you know, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, shake it, take it, you know? It's, it, God gives us clear boundaries. God has good things for your life. God has great and precious promises for you, for your new children, for your older children, for your parents as they're aging, for you and your life, for those of you that are near to him and those of you that are just trying to find your way through the dark and you see that light and you know it's him and you're trying to figure out, Lord, I don't know everything about you, but I want what you have for me. And these people, being God's people, they needed a setback to help them move forward. You see, in chapters 3, 10 and 11 there, and I'm just not going to have us turn to this, but I want to sum it up for you. Here's the picture. 
All of these people that were God's people, they had the title and the name, but they did not have the flame in their life. They, can, they spoke about being God's people, but their behavior was screaming over their words. It was as if God was going to say, I really want to embrace that. I really want to accept that. But your actions and your behavior are screaming so much louder than your words. And we have this saying in my household when my kids were growing up. We said, if you will not listen to my words, you will listen to my spankings. And yes, we do field trips to New Hampshire where it's legal to do that. <laughs> That's an ongoing joke in our home. That was actually more for my boys. But here's the thing. God brought an incredible comeback to these people. And they came back. The king, we talked about last week, how God, through, through the prophet Isaiah and through the word of God and through Daniel reading God's word, here's a reason why you need to be in the Bible. Daniel was in captivity and he's reading the book of Jeremiah. Je the, the prophet is reading another prophet. Even prophets need to read God's word. And he's reading Jeremiah and he says, 70 years, this, 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 uh, this chastisement, being captives in Babylon, are going to last. And, and then we get to go back. And Isaiah the prophet named the king by name, Cyrus. And this king, this Persian king, rises to power. And he takes over every other army and every other kingdom. And he says, you know what? You were deported. You were demoralized. You were humiliated. You were sent away from your homes. You were sent away as captives. You were scattered. The kings before divided your families and sold you as slaves, not me. He got the point. Really translate happy wife, happy life, happy subjects, get them home and keep them happy there. And he says to everybody in this kingdom, he says, all of you, wherever you came from, go back, rebuild your temple and worship your God. In fact, it's so incredible. Like nowadays, nowadays like it's, it's hard to kind of partner with the state sometimes because they, they, they want to keep a separation of church and state. Here, the king of Persia, He's not even a follower of God. And yet he's so moved that he says, I'm going to pay the price for you to go back to that city, to that pile of rubble that, that was torn down. And I want you to take a group of people and they take like 60,000 people and he gives them back all the things that were stolen from the temple. And he says, this is it. You've got my endorsement. You've got the backing behind you. Tell me whatever it is that it costs. We'll do it. Go back. And when you're there and you're worshiping your God and building that temple, say a prayer for me. And that's exactly what they do. And this is what brings us right to Ezra chapter 3. They're there, they're excited, they've traveled. And they see everything that was a representation of their faith in a pile of rubble. And I want, when I get to heaven, to know who was the first person to pick up the first stone that began to rebuild that. I want to meet that person. And there was a first person to take the stone to build the altar. And the second person, and the third. And now for the first time in over 70 years, an altar is being rebuilt. And if I could just spiritualize this for a second and say that we all need an altar in our life to God that we continually come to, that we continually freed. You know what? In the Old Testament, there was an altar and there was a fire and the Bible says that it was to continually burn and it was the responsibility of the priest to make sure that it never went out. And you and your life, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God is looking for you to kindle that fire in your life and to restore. Listen, I don't care how far you feel or how low you feel you've fallen. Nobody is ever, you might feel like you're beyond worthiness. Yeah, I won't argue with you on that. But you might be beyond hope, but you're never beyond Jesus. And you're never outreach of his love. And God always says, let's, let's have a comeback. And all of these people are there. And that first person throws the stone. And the second person throws the stone. And here's what happens. There are people that are at this moment that remember what Solomon's temple looked like. There are some of us in this room that know what pagers are. And some of us who say, I'm glad I never had one. There are, I remember my grandfather telling me he didn't have electricity in his house. And I'm like, how did you do it without it? I remember, how many, you know, I'm not going to have you raise your hand. I remember when there was no th such thing as the internet. Yeah. Life was simpler back then. People talked to each other. 
There were people that were there that remembered Solomon's temple covered in gold, white as marble, just the most ornate. It was one of the ancient wonders of the world. At least Herod, when he re rebuilds it in the time of Jesus, right before then, it, it definitely becomes an ancient wonder of the world. But, but here they are, and they're like, I can't believe this. Have you ever had one of those moments where the timing is perfect, where everything falls into place? You know what? There's a thing when it comes to like hitting a, a speed bag or even in a, in a fight. It's all about timing. It's one thing to jab something. It's another thing to hit something when it's moving towards you. That's like a double hit. It's even worse if you know it's coming to you. you it has no idea you're about to hit it. And then you step into that punch. And some of you understand the pain of stepping into a punch. And it makes it even more powerful. And when God is on your side and when the Lord loves you and he looks past your fault and he sees your need and he says, I'm going to fight for you. That all through the Old Testament, the Bible said that the Lord fought for Israel. God steps in and he steps up for his people and he reorchestrates one of the greatest comebacks. There are very few nations that have ever been dispersed and ever came back together. Israel's done it almost, I'd say, three times. That's, that's, that's the hand of God. No nation has been completely dispersed and then came back and reformed as a nation. That's the hand of God. That's a great comeback. And this is that moment where they're coming back and that first rock goes in there and the second rock goes in there. And it says this in, in, in chapter 3, 10 and 13, that there were people that knew the, the temple of Solomon and there were a bunch of young adults that were there that never saw it. But it says as they were putting the, the altar in place and they were offering sacrifices and praise went up, tears went down, that those that knew the former glory were weeping because they just couldn't believe what was being restored. And those that were young, like any of us that, that are young, I'm going to throw myself in there just for the sake of it. You, you know what it is to be excited about something, right? You know what it is to be thrilled about something. You know what it is to say, on your mark, go get set. And we're just going to jump into it. And they're like... Man, I don't know what it was like before, but I'm ready to make this the best thing ever. And man, they just start putting their labor to it and together and they cry out to God. There's even a group that is there that are a special group of priests and their whole calling was to make music. This was like Elevation Church, man. This was like, if I said Hill Songs Australia, some of you'd be like, how about Hosanna Integrity? Now we're really going way back, right? There were people that were, these guys... They wrote some of the most amazing songs that made your tears drop, made it feel like your sin was washed away, made it feel like your hope rose. And they said, we're going to do something here that we haven't done in years, that we never thought we'd ever be able to do again, ever. We're going to sing a song that David sang all the way back in our foundation, in our beginning. And it goes like this. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Now, I don't care how far you are from God. Here's something that I know about Him. If you take your eyes off of you and you begin to fix them on Him, if you begin to forget about you and you begin to be mindful of Him and you start living that song, give thanks to the Lord. Do you know how rare thanks is? Do you know how rare it is today for someone just to say thank you? Do you know how rare it is to get a thank you card? It was just as rare as in Jesus' day. The Bible says the 10 lepers came up to him. And uh, I think it's 10 or 12. Forgive me, my mind's a little rough. My wife's been hitting me with the gear. So <laughs> they, they go and then they, they, they all leave and Jesus heals them of leprosy. And then one of them comes back and he's, he's a Samaritan. And he comes back and he says, Jesus, thank you. And, and the Lord's confused. He's like, were there not 10? Is it just this one? And he's not even a Jew. He's a Samaritan. How rare it is for even the people of God to double back and say thank you. You know, one of my life points, I want to always be the person that fulfills Luke 17, 17, that comes back and says, thank you. Thank you. For every one of you that blessed my family, from every moment we've been here, thank you. For those of you that were caring for us and we didn't even know, thank you. For those of you that didn't even need to, but you did anyway, thank you. For those of you that have cared for all of the pastors that have been here and the leaders, thank you. Give thanks to the Lord. 
You know why? Tov ma'od. God is very, very good. You used to have this saying that used to go out, and some of you who know it will be able to just show it right there. God is good. And all the time. And that almost became like a meme. And it just has lost its luster. I feel like we need to drop the quick post and we need to get back to the old song. Give thanks to the Lord. Why do we, number one, I need to go out of my way to say thank you. And I'm coming out of my way, Lord, today to say thank you. Why do I do that? Because he's good. And you begin to realize God is good even when the situation around you isn't. And Jesus isn't a 911 savior that he just exists for you to call on him when you have problems. He actually enhances your life when there aren't any. And he actually gives us and guides us and shows us how to avoid problems. And so these people, these singers, Elevation Church had nothing on them. All the, the new singers and the new songs that are out there, they didn't compare with this one because it was a classic. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And this is the catcher to it. His love endures Forever. What is forever? I remember my pastor when I was trying to wrap my mind around eternity. And he was trying to, he said, Paul, picture a bird could fly all the way to the moon. And each trip he takes one grain of sand and flies it to the moon and drops it there. And he continues that until every grain on every beach on every shore is there. And you will have just entered into the beginning of eternity. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he's dead, yet shall he live. Listen, the hope of Jesus Christ is not just that he died on the cross for your sins. There were lots of people that died on crosses. In fact, Rome had thousands of them along the street. It was who was on that cross and what happened afterwards. Death could not hold him down, and he broke the power of sin, the condemnation of death, hell in the grave, and he holds the keys and let me tell you what, one day I will see my grandmother again. One day I will see my friends again. One day Jesus is going to turn that and I'm going to see Paul Travers again. One day God is going to turn that key and I'll see my grandmother and there'll be no more sickness, no more disease, no more. And when I begin to think about his, that God is good and I begin to thank him and that his love endures forever, like you can never run out of talking about the goodness of God. I think in the world that we live I think we've focused too much on the problems. And that's probably why we have so much lack of peace. When was the last time you set your phone down and didn't pick it up for an hour? And we wonder why we don't hear from God. I invite you in the privacy of your life to begin to sing that song. And to begin to participate in that altar. And they begin to put the rocks. And here's the thing. There were people that were crying because they said, man, I just, listen, I know what it is like to watch somebody pulled out of a wheelchair. I know what it is like to see somebody so demonically possessed that they throw 10 people off of them. I know what it's like to see God do miracle after miracle after miracle. And just like the book of Acts, they didn't happen yesterday and the next day and the next day. But he still moves like that. In this community, we have people that God is touching and then other people that God is strengthening for journey and he's God and I'm not and I don't understand that but I trust him he's good but I know that every once in a while I need to come back to the altar to restore the purity of my worship with God and that I don't serve him for what he does I serve him for who he is and I think Although they had a great comeback, the thing that you can easily miss is, is that no sooner do they get back and have a comeback, they hit an incredible setback. Let me tell you something about a, 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 a boxing match. Some of you have sparred. Some of you have even starred with martial arts. And there is a big difference of doing that and being in a match of boxing for 15 rounds. 15 rounds, three minutes a round, 30 seconds to rest. Oh my goodness, I'm done in round two. That's it. Here's what it would be. In a boxing match, your average fight, there are about 600 punches that are thrown. That's the average one. You get somebody like Tyson or Vander Holyfield in there, forget it, you're toast. And you get 600 punches. Here's the thing, you split it up. About 125 of them are going to land on you. 
So if you say, I think I'd like to try boxing, I would say, before you do that, let's not see if you could throw the punch. Let's see if you could take it. You would, I would be able, where, Juan, where are you at? I don't mean to always pick on your size, but he's like, imagine, no, he's not here right now. So imagine Juan is like big dude, right? Imagine him sitting there and he gets to hit you three times every minute for 45 minutes. That's the math of a boxing match. That's 175 plus hits, just pop up. Some of them be like light ones and then some pfft. And if you entered into this thing called the Christian faith and you thought that it was just gonna be puppy skittles and rainbow and that hell was gonna leave you alone, you got 15 rounds. Forget the marathon analogy. There's a reason why the apostle Paul says, I have fought the good fight. He said, sometimes it's not just like I'm tired and I'm running. There's sometimes somebody beating me, hitting me. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, on the front of that page, there are all kinds of things that you can look at, that you can doodle on, and I leave that to you. But I want to bring us to the heart of a passage, and I'm going to ask Lucas, if you're there, if you could just bring me to Ezra chapter 4 that icon there. I'm going to skip over all that other stuff. And I want you, if you would, turn in your Bible to the book of Ezra, chapter 4. And we're going to just cut through this in slices. Oh, man. Thank you. Ezra, chapter 4, starting at verse 1. No sooner, everything that I just expressed to you, no sooner did that happen, and this happens immediately after. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel. Think Zerubbabel, he is like the governor, the local mayor. They approached Zerubbabel and the heads of fathers, that's like a, a, a board, and the fathers' houses and said to them, let us build with you for we worship your God as you do. And we have been sacrificing to him since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. <clears throat> Listen to this. When Israel comes back to their land, they used to own tons of it. In fact, the only king ever to really get all of the stuff that Joshua talked that the Israelites would have everywhere you put your foot upon, the only one to take it all was David. And then, so then Solomon began to rot it morally. And by the time David's grandson took the throne, it was all over and it was, it was a split, divided kingdom from there forward. And if I could just make an analogy here in your life, Satan would love the fact of you and your spouse to be divided. He would love for you and your family to be divided. He would love to continue to keep the silence and the distance between you and your family, between you and your boss, between you, because... A kingdom divided can't stand. In fact, the devil loves disunity. And what's amazing about Satan is he so infiltrated the people of God that by the time that, that this captivity was happening, nobody could even recognize what they looked like except for a few people like Jeremiah or Daniel. And when they come back, they come back to this tiny little chunk of land. It's like they've got nothing. And that's why the prophet Zechariah steps in and he says, listen, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Don't despise the day of small things. Every single thing starts small. You might be coming back to God in your relationship with Jesus Christ and you might have a desire to be at a certain place in your life and you, you, you're kind of like stepping back backwards once in a while. Can I tell you something? There's nobody I've ever met who is making a determination to say, I want to go after God with all of my heart. And I, I want to just let me skip past God. Can I just bring it right to the source? There's nobody on the face of the earth that doesn't sit and say, Jesus, I want to follow you, but I am weak. And would you please give me the strength? Listen, I started praying like that and I asked Christ into my life when I was still a drug addict, when I was, I was a high school dropout, I was out of my mind, I was facing 35 years in prison if everything came to fall on me and I was just in the back of nowhere knowing nothing about Jesus, all I knew was like, I don't care what happens to me. All I want is to be more like you. Please change me. And it was the most surrendered moment in my life. And I can tell you something, being honest here, that although I was completely forgiven and cleaned, and this is how salvation works, Jesus comes in, he will forgive you all day long. But there's a process where God begins to clean you up and that's called sanctification and that takes time. How many of you ever have a habit 
and your mom would yell at you for doing it. Now, I'm not talking about picking your nose when you were little, all right? I had this, I had this habit where, the, you ever hear, there's a saying in, in like boxing where they say, don't pull your punches, don't pull your punches. So it's like if you, if you pretend like you're going to punch, and that's how you always do it, that's how you do it. But I always, whenever I did it, and I'm not anything special at this, and I definitely am out of wind very easily, but when I would do it, I just kind of put my all into it. So when I was at Bible College, at North Point Bible College, one day I was walking up the steps and two students thought it would be cute if they jumped out and scared me to death. So one of them was Sandy Catherine, right? And the other one, so here's what happened. It, my wife will tell you, don't ever sneak up on me. Just don't do it. It's just not wise. And so I'm walking up the steps. It's pitch dark. And all of a sudden, I just see motion. And so I watch something jump that way. And so my, my one hand goes like this, but I'm looking out of the corner of my eye, and I see this thing leaping at me and my adrenaline goes and I just step into the punch and I go boom and I hear ah, ah. and all of a sudden we turn on the lights and I just gave this girl a whopping but Kevin you remember this yeah buddy all right it's a true story uh the school could have been sued but it didn't happen huge whopping black eye I am like Oh my, I am, I am so sorry. They're like, we shouldn't have done that. We just, I'm like, oh, and I'm explaining to the dean of students at that time, listen, it was just an accident. It was just a reflex. I threw a black eye party for her and we, we had it. She, I said, you can invite up to 50 friends, but the one condition is, is they have to get makeup and draw a black eye in that spot. And so she did it and she was walking around for Shiner, but everybody for like the, the next like three years, everybody was like, yo, don't sneak up on Pastor, Professor Conway. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. It was just, you know, it wasn't anything. It was just a reaction. But, but I say all that to say this. Do you think if you have been doing a habit over and over and over again that, of course, Jesus forgives you, but do you think that that was going to just fall right off of you? If you're doing something over and over and over again, it becomes natural reaction. And for some of us in our struggle to become mature in Jesus, we're like, God, I know I want to be more like you, but I keep being more like this. And the Lord's like, stop asking me to bless what you're doing. Start stepping in and do the things that I can bless. And here's the thing that's amazing about this. Every once in a while, you might step back over here, but it'll happen less and less, and the next thing you know, you'll have motion in this thing called the walk of faith, and you'll head in the right direction, and heaven will get behind you, and the timing of everything will be perfect. But I want to talk to you this morning and warn you that not only is God an uncontested champion, but hell is a heavyweight contender that is vicious and relentless. If you thought that if you just live a nominal Christian life, that the devil would overlook you, you are so wrong. If you thought that this thing of serving God was just going to be a confession of faith and it wasn't gonna require sweat and practice, as the Bible says, practice to be godly. Godliness, practice hospitality. These things actually need exercise that eventually, like saying thank you or those things, eventually they become natural. But our natural tendency is to, to do these things. And, and when you really commit your life and you put your foot in the ground, you say, Jesus, I don't care where I've been. I don't care what I've done. I, all I know is this. I know that I know that I know that I want you in my life and I want to be more like you and I don't care what it costs me and I don't care what I have to give up and I don't care what I need to pick up. I am in pursuit of you until I find you. That will change you for eternity. But it's at that moment that hell unleashes a fury of a combination punch all over you that hits you till you see stars and you begin to hear the count, 10, 9, and you're like, what just happened? Hell has your address. Listen, not only is Satan hate everything about you. You know why he hates you? Because when he looks at you, he sees the image of God and he hates everything about him and he doesn't have what it takes or has the guts to contend him. So what does he do? He viciously, viciously attacks his children because we have his image on us. And right here in this moment, 
as they finally start getting it right in their life, it says, the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that they had returned, and they said, we worship God just like you. Have you ever noticed this? That when you really start to set your heart on getting your life right, everybody that was wrong for it shows up out of nowhere? Anybody, just wave, wave your hand real quick if you know what I'm talking about. Thank you. All right, I'm not alone. Why is it that when all of a sudden I decided I am no longer going to do this, all of the that's connected to it want to hang out? Why is it that all of a sudden I don't have any contact with anyone and then all of a sudden I'm getting bombarded with contact? I'll tell you why, because hell wants to ruin God's image in your life. He wants to set you back. He wants to keep you from becoming all that God has you to be. And so they come in, and they come in, these people, and they lie to them, and they say, we worship your God just the way you do. No, they didn't. They were doing the same thing that caused Israel to go in exile. They said, I'll have a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of this. I'll have a little bit of my wife and a little bit of this lady. I'll have a little bit of this honest business and a lot of this corrupt one. I have a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And listen, different strokes for different folks. It's amazing. If you go through the Ten Commandments, you get nailed no matter who you are. We all need a Savior. There's nobody that's going to be strutting in heaven saying, I made it, I was good enough. There's nobody righteous, not one. And it says this, Zerubbabel, verse 3. But Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the rest of the heads of the family of the houses in Israel said to them, you have nothing to do with us in building the house to our God. We alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, and the kings, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Listen, I'll tell you what, man. Hell has a motto, and it's simply this. If Satan can't defeat you, he'll deceive you so that he can. He'll come in, and this is why it is so important for you to allow God's word to be a regular part of your life because you, don't, you, don't, you only know what you know, right? And, and what the devil wants to do is, is to, if, if, if he can't defeat you and if he can't defeat God, what he wants to do is to speak a lie into your life and get you to believe it as a truth and get you to live that out so that he doesn't even need to destroy your life. You sufficiently do it. And how many of you with me would be like, I'm not as worried about the devil. I'm more concerned about me because I can self-destruct my life so effectively it's not even funny. I don't even need his help. My goodness, when he sets his sight on me, it could be a disaster apart from Jesus. And so what does he do? He begins to create those lies that says, it's okay if you do this. It's okay if you do that. I know the Bible says this, but, but does, it, does it really mean completely like that? Yes, it does. You know what? Deuteronomy, in fact, I got this award, Matt, for you. I wanted to give this to you earlier. Are you in here? I, got, I set this aside for Matt. He's been in both these services, but he is our drummer, and he so pounds this drum set, it's not even funny, and it is the Deuteronomy 6-5 award. It says, worship the Lord with all your might, and my goodness, we're going through drum heads, because he's going, bam, and hitting them, and uh, he's doing it, and we can get this to him later, but here's where that verse in Deuteronomy 6 says this, you, this is God, he's saying, Listen, before I give you all this stuff, I want you to make this real easy and simple. I want you to love me with all of your heart, with all of your soul, your emotions, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Tommy, Jesus has all of your mind, and he's pleased with you. And there are times when I realize that he's beating me in the mind department because all of it's his. How much does God want? All of it. He looks at the universe and he looks at each and every one of us and he says, that's my mark, that's my stamp. What do you want? He looks at the universe and he says, mine. I want it, I want it all. I want all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, even all of your strength. That when you do something, you do it to the best of your ability. God's not looking for you to become something better. He's not looking for you to become something different. He loves you the way you are. If you're introverted, he's gonna keep you that way. If you're extroverted, he made you that way. He, the things that you chuckle about that other people scorn at, actually, I think there are some times where heaven's laughing with you. The things that you feel and hurt for other people because you're empathetic, I think those are the things that Jesus feels. He made no fingerprint the same, no snowflake alike. There is nobody on the face of this earth that is like you and he loves you the way you are, but he wants to use you and the only way he can do that is if he has, as they say in Hebrew, uvechol, say uvechol. You're good Hebrew students. My Hebrew's terrible, but with, it literally, it says with your all. 
All of it. And I find when I do part of it, it just comes up short. That's why yielding is so important to God. Satan's motto is this, if you can't beat them, join them so that you can. Proverbs 6, 12, and 14 says this, a troublemaker and a villain who goes about with a corrupt mouth, who winks maliciously with his eye, signals with his feet, motions with his fingers, plots evil and deceit in the heart. He always stirs up conflict, and every single one of us has a friend like this in our life, and you need to end that friendship. Proverbs is great. You want to find out what people you need to get rid of in your life? Read through the book of Proverbs. It'll, it'll be crystal clear to you. Proverbs 16, 28. A dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. You know what? It's so natural to do this, but I've made it a habit that I never will put my hand up like this because I never want somebody to think that I'm saying something about them I don't want to hear. In fact, I've got the opposite problem. If I want to say something to you, you'll hear about it. And God's working on me in that department. But those people were coming in not to help with work. And, and when you set, listen, when you set your heart on following Jesus completely, when you commit to rebuild and restore the work that was there and you begin to forget about the way it was. Listen, some of you have been in Christianity a long time and you remember what it was like. You know what? That's nice and good, but that was back then. It's time for you. If you got what it takes and you remember what it was, put your back into it. Lean into it with these young people that are, my goodness, I look at this platform and I see these young kids. I'm so proud of you guys for getting up here you're not the future church you're the present church and they're getting up here and singing like like elevation church they're just throwing their heart into it and God is looking for us to pour ourselves 100% into the work but when you do that don't be surprised if the devil sends all of the wrong people at the right moment because he knows how to land a punch in the right timing so that all the wrong things happen in your life because if Satan can't defeat you he'll deceive you so that he can defeat you, or at least neutralize you. Not only that, but if Satan can't deceive you, then his next tactic is, is that he'll go out of his way to discourage you. If Satan can't deceive you, he'll discourage you. I'll never forget when I was in Rhode Island, and I was in a three-car bump fender bender, and uh, it was a rainy, so everybody was hydroplaning. This one lady slammed on her brakes and hydroplaned and then came to an abrupt stop, the other guy slammed into the back of that car. I mean, like, there was, like, everything all over the place. And I was pumping my brakes, and I was just, and I just, like, just kissed the bumper. I mean, that's the only way I could describe it. I just, like, just lightly kissed the bumper. And, and I'm, I'm young at this time, and, and I'm saying to myself, like, there's no damage. I need to get out of here. And then somebody drives by and rolls down the window and says, hey, don't worry about anything. I just called the cops. I'm like, great, cops are coming. It's never a good thing for me with cops. It took me about 10 years to stop an adrenaline rush every time I saw lights behind me. And so <laughs> I have a clean, holy life, but it just reaction formation. You got to break that habit, right? So here I am. I just lightly dent the bumper, and I go about my life, and there's a police report that's written up. And, and then all of a sudden, about a few weeks later, I get this letter from a lawyer, and it details like how I did terrible damage to this person and they've been to the doctor and da 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 I don't know what to do about it but I walk in and what do you do when you have that problem you go to your Italian friends so I go to my Italian friends and I say hey I got this this lawyer letter and he said let me see that he looks and he goes yeah I know this guy I remember him when he was a punk kid he goes hold on one second he walks into his office picks up the phone I see him I hear him and then he hangs it up he walks out and he says he says hey you don't need this letter he says, and ain't going to bug you again. I don't know what he did or what he said, but I really don't mind. He's like, how'd you do that? How'd you do that, Uncle Bobby? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's an Italian thing. Well, here's the thing that happened. Two days after that, I get a phone call. And it's from my insurance company. And they say, hey, we've got a serious lawsuit that's coming your way. And we just need to talk this through. Uh, we see that there was this accident. And I began to explain it. And I... And then all of a sudden, I explained, they said, well, this lawyer called up, and I said, you know, and they said, you really hurt this lady. And I said, lady? I go, wait a second. I go, it wasn't a lady, it was a guy. They said, what do you mean a guy? Paperwork says it was a lady. No, actually, if you look at the police report, 
it shows that it was a guy. And sure enough, it wasn't even his car, and him and his sweetheart put a frivolous lawsuit together and came after me, and I had about like 15 days of adrenaline rush and worry, and I didn't add to my life. I think I took tons of it off, and maybe you know what it's like too when you set your heart to serve God. It's like all of a sudden things go wrong, and you're like, what's happening here? You know what's happening? Hell is taking notice of your life, and sometimes we just have to remember that this is a marathon. This is a boxing match. There's no way out of getting hit, but let me tell you something. If you stick with Jesus and you let him coach your life and you surrender and say I'm going to give my all it might not be good enough but I'm going to give it to you and he says that's all you need you just give me my all you listen to my coaching you listen to my word and you do and you will get there but let me tell you if Satan can't deceive you and you're not going to be tricked by him he's going to totally try to discourage you in fact in boxing you have a term that's called throwing in the towel that stands for p i don't know if this is pastor or if it's for my name paul but if you're in a boxing match and the and and your 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 coach is looking at you getting mauled and they're like get him out of there he's getting killed they do a thing called throw the throwing in the towel and that instantly ends the fight because they're like he can't take it he can't take it and you know what here this morning your life my life is a lot in common with this moment with God's people in their comeback. And as soon as he, they set their heart to have a comeback, and just as sure as you're here in this church this morning, it shows that you're trying to come back or come to a deeper relationship with Jesus. And you've been doing your part and you've been putting it together. And no sooner does that happen that all of a sudden hell begins to hit you from every direction. And they so effectively pounded the people of God that if you look down at verse 24 of Ezra 4, that same chapter, it says that they were so effective that the work on the house of God stopped. In fact, it didn't only stop, it stopped for 16 years. How many times in my life where I just say, I just want to run away from it, and then it comes back like a boomerang, and God says, it's not going anywhere. How many of you can identify in this room, man, I remember 10 years ago, 20 years ago, when I walked away from that moment, and I so regret it, but I'm coming back. I'm trying to come back. And let me tell you what, God sees, God knows, God hears, and he is for you, he is not against you, and your enemy is real, and Satan wants to do nothing less than destroy your life completely. And that's why Psalm 119, verse 125 reads like this. David says that I am your servant, Give me discernment that I may understand your statutes. There's a reason why in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, that one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is discernment of spirit. I got a funny story, but I'm going to give the condensed version. I had a friend of mine. His name was Rico. Everything that goes with the name, yes. We're driving down the road. One thing about Rico is, is he would share Jesus with anyone, anytime, anyplace, anywhere. We're driving down the road, and I see this guy, and I say, Rico, I feel like we need to share talk to this guy about Jesus and he like bangs a Yui that's a real New England term right he bangs a Yui right in the middle of the road I mean it's like tires screech and he goes back he goes let's do it the thing about Rico is is that um, he was moving from worshiping uh, making money with all of his might to worshiping God with all of his might right and so we're going there and we're talking to this guy and he looked like he was fit and strong and and we're talking to him and as we're talking to him my, my friend, he, he's saying, he hands him a track. This is like this thing, for those of you that don't know, it's a piece of paper that talked to people about Jesus before there were like texts and stuff like that. And he hands it, takes it in his hand. And he says, oh, he even says, this is about God, right? Yeah. And so we get ready to go and my friend turns to him and says, hey, listen, I just want you to know it's only by the blood of Jesus that you can be set free. And it was funky town. And the only way I can describe it is that if you took a thousand voices and layered them over each other and let it speak out loud, that's what I heard. And as sure as the most beautiful moment you ever had from God where his presence fills a room, it was like the most filthy, vile, nauseating presence that just filled the spot where we were. And he kept screaming, we won't say it, we won't say it. And my friend Rico, he's, he's looking out for me, he puts me behind, he's looking at the guy thinking he's going to have to knock him out. And he goes, he goes, what's What's going on? I go, Rico, guy is demonically possessed. My friend's like, really? Yeah. 
So then he goes up to the guy and says, just say it. It's by the blood of Jesus. It's by the blood of Jesus. And the guy's like, and like watching the power of God show up. Listen, I don't care how terrifying or how powerful Satan is. Jesus is more powerful than anything, anyone, anywhere, anytime. And I don't know what demons discourage your life. Maybe your own mind is demonically inspired that hell just looks at you and says, here's a shovel, start thinking, start digging. And you get there and you're like, I can't get out of here, whatever. And the Lord's like, let's get rid of that stinking thinking and just come back and feel for a season, right? And then some of us were led so astray by our heart, God saying, I want all your heart. And if you gave it all to me, you wouldn't be led astray by your feelings so much. Or maybe it's your mind or whatever. But man, if hell cannot deceive you, it will try to discourage you. And you know who a winner is? A winner is just a loser who tried one more time. Can I just tell you something today? I don't care if you're depressed, get up. I don't care if you've been in all the wrong places at all the right time, get up and get out. I don't care if he says he loves you or she says she loves you or they promise this, that, or the other thing. If there are things connected with it that God says, do what I bless not, ask me to bless what I do, get up, get out, fight. Fight for your encouragement, fight for your life, fight for your savior, fight for trusting in Jesus. Listen. Sometimes we treat God like he's a 911 call. Every time we get in trouble, he's there to say, Lord, just take away my bad feelings. You know what? Sometimes you got to do and let your feelings catch up with you later. It doesn't feel good when you're getting pounded. It doesn't feel good when you can't breathe. It doesn't feel good when you get a sucker punch. It doesn't feel good. But that's how the enemy fights. You got to fight. You got to let Jesus and his strength and his power, it's some things are worth fighting for. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters, he writes a whole book about like two demons talking to each other. And a long story short, he says to him, to the other demon, he says, well, we're going to win this. You have time on your side as an ally. The long, dull, momentous years of middle-aged prosperity or middle-aged adversity, he's talking about midlife crisis here, are excellent campaigning weather. You see, it is so hard for these creatures, these people, to persevere. Despair is the ultimate sin because it involves a lack of faith in God's ability to improve his situation. The last moment you were in a difficult situation, the last moment there was something that was out of control that you begged to have control of it, and you began to spin downward, my question for you is this, were you trusting God? Or were you fearing that God was not going to do much of anything? See, faith is a fight. Paul says it like this, I fought the good fight of faith. There are some fights worth having. This is one. It's not going to be handed to you. It's not going to be handed to you. Joshua chapter 1 verse 9, God says this to us. It's ours as much as it was to Joshua. Have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? You know what's amazing about this language in this, in the original language? God is not trying to coach you. He has his finger at you with an exclamation point commanding you, do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. Isn't that great? When you're depressed, right? Your last depressed moment, imagine someone walks in and says, hey, stop being depressed. Well, if I could have done that, I would have done a long time ago. You know what God is saying? He's saying, do and let your feelings catch up with you later. Stop trying to work through the feeling and start doing the doing. If you know it's a God thing and it's a right thing and you're walking according to his word, do and sooner or later those feelings will catch up to you. It doesn't feel good being in a fight, but God is saying, get up, walk this thing. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be despairing or dismayed. Why? Because the Lord is with you wherever you go. He was with my friend, Pastor Wally Mungandal, when he was in a cell the size of this carpet tile, naked and beaten an inch of his life. Was on death row. You heard him. He stood right here. One of, one of the people that translated the Bible, when it wasn't popular to do that, they put him and they burned him at a stake. They burned him for, for making the Bible public to people like us. There are people at a time and a season where they were, they were put to death for trying to put this in anyone's hand but somebody that was a priest. And, and we have dust collected all over them. There are people who died for this book. 
And as he was in the flames, his, his assistant said to him, he said, before you go into that fire, do me a favor, you're going first. If, if, if God's grace is enough for this trial, just hold up one finger. I believe it was Tyndale. As he was burning alive and his friend was watching, he held up two fingers. God is more than enough. And you might be in the middle of a fiery trial and you're trying to do everything you can to come back and you are getting pummeled with a setback and the flames of hell are burning all around you. When you have that moment of despair and you want to just spiral into it, do me a favor this week, this month, this year. Hold up two fingers and think about Tyndale. Say, no, God's grace is more than enough. It's more than enough. Listen, if Satan can't deceive you, he'll discourage you. But if he can't discourage you, he will defame you. I remember years ago, this is years ago, and no context of ministry here. There are several contexts of ministry that are in this room. I want you to know I'm not talking about any context of ministry here. But there was a season in the life of my wife and I where we were doing everything right and everything wrong unleashed on us. And our reputation, it was like somebody poured gasoline all over it and threw a match at it and were enjoying. Some people just want to see the world burn. I remember the struggle and some of you really can understand this, that desire of justice, you know? It's like, I didn't do anything wrong. What they're saying is not true. What they're saying, you know what devil really does all the time in our lives is he takes an, he takes an action in our past and he throws it into our present like that's our identity. No, I'm sorry. It, you are not what you've done. You're a child of God. Your image comes from him and we, he wants us to behave better, but you are not those things. But they, took, they just went out. It, it was just like, it was re so complicated and it was a, an ugly mess. And I'll never forget when one of our friends who were missionaries, they, they were over at our house and we're trying to sort it out. And they looked at us and they said, your reputation never belonged to you. It belonged to him the day that you gave it to him. Your reputation belongs to the Lord. And if Satan cannot deceive you, and if he cannot discourage you, then he will go out of his way to defamate your character and make you at least ineffective, if not illicit. It's a combination punch. You know what's amazing in this chapter? The, 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 the ancient way they used to write was like this. It's pretty cool, right? Ooh, right? But this is the way that we do it. And this is, I taken the conversation that went between the, the people that were discouraging the Jews, the enemies of the, the people of Judah, and the kings way back in Persia over here. And so they started a chain going in a tweet. And so this guy, Bishlam, never name your child that, Bishlam and Meredith, something or other, and Tabil, and the rest of their associates, there's a whole chain gang on this wrote to Artaxerxes, king of Persia, and they're writing stuff like this. You know what? Those people are rebellious. Those people in the past, they, they separated and they built walls and they're going to stop paying tribute and they're going to rebel and there's going to be war if you let them continue to go. And they did hashtag, no temple for God's people. And then all of a sudden, one of their friends jumped in and retweeted and then put his, apart, his opinion in there. Rahum, the commander, and Shimshai, the scribe, he was really good at writing and he crafted this incredible letter to the king and they scribe wrote a letter uh, against Jerusalem. Hashtag no temple for God's people. You know what? You are the temple of God's spirit. It's no longer buildings like this. Burn this to the ground. We'll find another place to meet. This isn't going to stop us. It's not about this. It's about this. I mean, this is in the 21st century. This is something that we do and sometimes that we need. But it is never about this. It was never about new blue chairs. It was never about new carpet. It was about being the temple of God and being the people of God and, and letting God's kingdom be on earth as it is in heaven. But man, this thing got so much momentum. It started with two comments. They got two million retweets, four million six hundred eighty four thousand three hundred and sixty two likes and loves. And finally, the king had it translated. But lo and behold, in the ancient world, Google Translate. And so it was written in one language. They translated it into the Persians. They got it, and the king wrote back. He said, the letter that you have sent to us has been translated. 
And it has been found that this city from old has risen against kings and that rebellion and sedition and on and on and on and on. Listen, let me tell you what, I love this. It's an old saying, but it is so good and never loses. When Satan reminds you of your past, go out of your way to remind him of his future. You are not who you were and you are not what you did. Your identity does not come from your sin or your failure. It comes from your father. And he just said, you know what? Make a decree. These men be made to cease and that the city not be rebuilt. Hashtag it's a king thing. And that was the end. He fights cheap like Tyson. I was, I don't know. I, you know, I just took a great moment where I had great momentum and now I'm going to tailspin into the, into the, the great and moment, monumental Tyson ear bite. Holyfield won that fight, by the way, when it was all over. I was, I was proud of that moment. But listen, if Satan can't discourage you, then he'll try to defame you. He'll discredit you. He'll do everything he can to, to make you illegitimate. I want you to look very quickly at a, a, a very brief video clip that I put together. It's probably about four minutes total. But I want to wrap this up and remind you of a couple of things. One is a statement. Say it with me. If I can take it, I can make it. If I can take it, I can make it. I want to be honest with you. Sometimes following Jesus hurts. There's a reason why he said, pick up your cross, deny yourself. We kind of get the cross there, and then as soon as the denial to self comes, we're kind of like, how much? That's where it gets difficult. You see, this, this is self-execution. Pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Being a follower of Christ sometimes hurts. But man, the help and what God's trying to do in your life it's worth it. It's worth it. There was a man in World War II. His name was Lou Zamperini. And if you've never seen the movie Unbroken, you need to see it. He grew up in an Italian immigrant home, and he ended up running in the Olympics when it was held in Nazi Germany before World War II. And then he went on to be in a plane, in a fighter team, was made a prisoner of war. And they did everything that they could to break him. And he came out of that saying, if I can take it, I can make it. I don't know what's got your life captive. I don't know what cruel and unusual punishment hell or others are putting you through. But I know this. You can take it. You can make it. And the Bible says it like this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, the, the altar call is really simple here. It's really the kingdom of heaven is within you, even in your heart. And I feel like today God wants to remind you that some things are worth fighting for. And that if you can take it, you can make it. This thing is not just a race. It's a fight. And some of us, we need to throw ourselves back in that ring again and begin to fight for our relationship with Jesus. I'd like for you to stand this morning. As we do this, we close. I just want to pray over you here and give you that moment you could here with every head bowed every eye closed you're here today and you say pastor I'm in the middle of that battle I feel like I'm experiencing setback after setback after setback will you please pray for me with, with everyone with your head bowed and your eye closed if that's you just raise your hand up that I could see it say pray for me pastor pray for me thank you you are not alone you are not alone. The Lord is with you wherever you go. And he wants you to fight. And he wants you to do and let your feelings catch up with you later. And so, Lord, that's what today is. It's sweat. It's rebuilding an altar with rocks. It's shutting off our phone for an hour. It's giving time to those that we love. It's, it looks different for all of us. It, it means that today... Right here, right now, this is the end of that relationship. Today, here, this is, this is the end of that partnership. This is the end of that. that it ends. Either I, I need to begin to do what you can bless, not ask you to bless what I can do. Not anymore. But would your grace be amazing to us? Lord, I pray for your strength in your people. 
they can do all things through Christ who gives them strength. Be with us this week, this month, and this year as we make a comeback like never before. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you go. You're welcome to stay. You're welcome to sing. You're welcome to slide out. God is with you. God is with you.